you have to walk a certain path. You should anyway. And, and so it's the, the art and science of opinion. In fact, how do you promote something, but stay within those accurate boundaries, ethical boundaries are a component of that. We have to develop our message around what we're doing because we're essentially the only ones doing it. Great. Welcome to another episode of the Young Professionals in Energy podcast. I'm joined today by Brent Smith, Chief Communications Officer at Firefly Energy Services. Brent, how are you doing? Doing well. Thank you, Mark. Excellent. Yeah, super, super excited to dive in and and uh, chat. So why don't you go ahead and uh, just kind of give our audience a brief overview of your current position, um, and then we'll kind of dive into your background. Sounds good. Yeah, uh, Chief Communications Officer with Firefly Energy Services. For us, that that basically means that that I wear a lot of hats. My two partners and I, it's just the three of us right now. We're in early commercialization, but still kind of straddling that startup phase as well. Uh, we started commercializing our solution, uh, Gas Loop, uh, which is a, a natural gas and liquids uh, storage solution. Um, I'll elaborate on that as well. But basically for us wearing a lot of hats, the communications uh, role for me really means everything from business development, accounting and finance, uh, basically everything but engineering. <laughs> uh, yeah. we, 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 uh, we smartly have someone dedicated to that who does a great job. So I, I, I rarely wander very far into the technical space. So uh, thankfully, I don't thankfully I don't have to. So um, but our, it's, a, uh, it's a dangerous of, space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't want to go too far. But uh, yeah, our, our collective background between the three of us is primarily midstream and uh, and Rick, our, our COO, uh, has some experience in the utility space as well that, that really lends itself to what we're focusing on now. Uh, and that's kind of what led us to this solution, so to speak. But uh, but yeah, so it's, it's an exciting time and we're we're enjoying the commercialization process. It's equal parts exciting, difficult, challenging. Just it's it's a worthy endeavor. Great. I want to dig into that more, but before we do, let's yeah. uh, let's get a little bit more background on you to try and humanize sure. you for our audience. So, uh, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Yeah, I, I grew up in the Tulsa area. I've lived in Oklahoma my whole life. Um, grew up there. I moved to the Oklahoma City area, a large suburb town called Edmond, uh, to attend the University of Central Oklahoma and got my degree there. Um, that's actually where I met our C CEO, Jeff Oliver. He and I became acquainted. We're close friends in college. He is the one who actually later on from that uh, persuaded me to take the the move into the energy space. But backing up a little bit, my, my I have a business degree. My background, I worked in a few different fields prior to energy. Um, started out in banking and kind of had a, you know, a, a finance, financial services uh, kind of path in mind, financial planning, kind of changed my mind as a lot of folks do in their 20s and moved into like the insurance side. And then that got me into a sales and, and kind of sparked my entrepreneurial side a bit, but wasn't really a fit for me. I didn't want to go that full, you know, financial planner route. And then I, I spent some time actually in a business development role in the healthcare field. All the while, our CEO, Jeff, that I mentioned, he he started in the energy space, um, has done midstream, worked for some EMPs. That, that's the only thing he's ever done his entire career, 25 plus years as uh, in the energy space. We we'd had a tendency to talk a lot about business, he and I, and and it just kind of over time there was this merge into arriving at, okay, we should do something together, tuning into a lot of complementary skill sets and kind of how our backgrounds would lend to that. I actually helped him with a couple of ventures prior to Firefly uh, that, that weren't full-time roles for me, but it got me into the space and got my head around the energy markets and the energy world and, and kind of learning my way around that way a little bit and then actually spent a couple of years working on Firefly kind of in a moonlighting 
type capacity prior to going now full time into it. So my my energy background is piecing it together between those ventures about eight years um, and then and full time for about the last four, focusing primarily on Firefly. Awesome. Yeah. Um, cool. I want to step through kind of each piece of that, but mm-hmm. before we do that, I'm super curious on, on your LinkedIn page, you've got leadership admin class. Uh, I assume this is 21 or XX. Uh, yeah. one. What's, yeah. what's the background on that? Yeah. Uh, leadership admin is, uh, man, that was 05, 06. <laughs> Forever, so we're, yeah. we're going back a little ways, but <laughs> I believe I was still in the banking space or had just made the transition into the insurance and financial products uh, uh, segment of my career. Um, and those were good opportunities. I, I was involved more with the local chamber of commerce and some of those, you know, kind of more standard networking type groups. Yeah. And and leadership admin was uh, uh, locally, at least kind of a distinguishing group each year that participates in that program. Very wide, uh, diverse group of professionals from different backgrounds, different industries. Um, and it's kind of an economic development focused on the local regional level in terms of um, how local government, uh, everything from the school systems to, gosh, what else? We, we spent some time with local uh, like, like first responder groups and kind of have a um, city council as well. Um, so it was kind of a local regional focused uh, sort of education for professionals in how our community really works uh, and not just commercially, but uh, just from a community approach too. Um, so kind of a unique experience. And so it was a step out of traditional networking and into something that was more of a relationship forming uh, type of a scenario. Uh, and that's what was appealing to me about it at the time. Um, I, I wouldn't say that that's something I'm tapping into presently, but at that time in my career, it was a really good move, something I'm really glad I did. I've got some good relationships to this day uh, from participating in that with people who are still in the banking field and you name it. But um, yeah, kind of really kind of a really cool experience. And, you know, I, I would recommend to anyone who has an opportunity to do something similar. It's 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 really engaging and, and you really kind of get a different look at the local level at kind of what's going on around you and how things really work. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, what a what a fantastic opportunity and i'm happy we touched on it because uh, mm-hmm. you know, part of this podcast is also giving folks an ability to see what other people have done and help them to be successful um so i think that's a great example especially in school or early in your career for what you can do to branch out mm-hmm. um so background banking um insurance healthcare how do you think that helped pivot you into the energy industry or what what did you learn in the more financial sector that has been helpful in your career? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I got deep enough into that, that there were any real, real direct parallels. Um, but what for Jeff and I, you know, specific to us, and I think this would be unique to any, you know, set of partners or group working together or, or starting a business, what it showed us, uh, Jeff is, is, had, has always had a very entrepreneurial spirit uh, he was he was very calculated in as far as when he decided to take that step, though, uh, which I was very impressed by and, and kind of drawn to. But early on, uh, I don't think he would mind me saying this. I would say that his his mindset, as opposed to mine, is a little more idealistic. He He's more of our big thinker and our, and our big idea and, and more of our why don't we guy and then I have all the answers to those well because this you know and and not to and not because he's wrong um but in, in any good partnership there there's a yin and yang factor that works well there there's someone's the gas and someone's the brakes um and sometimes that changes especially between the three of us with Rick very collaborative uh, efforts there but um uh, for us it was a my ability to support Jeff in the in the ideas and those early ventures that he had uh, and some of the vision that he had. I was like, I, I can help you with this. You know, hey, this is something I can participate in. I can do these things and allow you to focus on these things. 
And so my role grew early on, especially when I was just doing it in a moonlighting capacity, it was kind of, you know, a, not really a support role, but but piecing together the blocking and tackling and administrative functions that have to be present even from a concept stage in any business, right? Someone needs to have, you know, everything from, not that he didn't know how to do this, but filing an LLC, what do I have to do? When do I apply for a tax ID number? You know, so on and so forth. So my my function started more administratively while I was learning more about the technical and operational components of the business. And so that's then expanded over you know, six, seven, eight years uh, more so now. And I still kind of wear those hats, but, you know, that's more of a function of keeping headcount low and, you know, keeping our burn rate low in terms of budget and stuff like that. So, um, but, but that, that was the early connection that's more specific to us. And, you know, you know, for a while I, I, I didn't maintain it, but I had a, a senior level HR certification and, and went through a whole, process to achieve that. Um, it, it wasn't really a primary function. I kind of checked that box for us where that happened. Yeah. It's not a primary role for me. So I just didn't go through the steps of maintaining it. But, you know, so it was it was really kind of filling that 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 bubble of what it takes to start and actually function a business early on and then begin to grow it, you know. But sure. uh, but it, it, that's more specific to us and how that worked. And it, and it wasn't any not necessarily direct uh, translation or step into the business. But I, I kind of like that. We, we like wearing a lot of hats. We we like all three of us having very different approaches and collaborative and complementary approaches. But at the same time, a holistic view of our business and of the market that we're in. Yeah, I mean, super fun, right? I love entrepreneurialism. Okay, so yeah, let's uh, let's pivot a little bit, Brent, to kind of your current employer, Firefly. The the beginning of the business, we were focused on uh, midstream opportunities. Uh, the gas loop solution is something that came, oh gosh, I would say eight months into it, um, and we were focused on kind of niche opportunities in the midstream space, kind of what was in our wheelhouse at the time, um, and now we're focused solely on commercializing and deploying gas loop. Um, that was about three years ago. Um, and the idea came to us because of the midstream background. It was through some other relationships in the space, an investor, um, a conversation that he had, and it was one of those somebody ought to uh, kind, of, kind of things. Um, you know, it's kind of, I get the question sometimes like, hey, how did you come up with this? Who came up with this? And, it, and it's sort of a collection of people. Uh, it's definitely not a depends on who you ask. There, there's no contention over who thought of it or anything like that. But it was it was sort of a, a few colliding thoughts. And, you know, one person had an idea or a thought that, you know, either wasn't an engineer or didn't exactly know what to do with it or didn't have interest right. in making it a business. And then so these conversations kind of make their way to us. And it was kind of like, a, hey, you need to be talking to these guys. And so, so what we, is we kind what's, of, what's yeah. the gas, gas loop storage solution? Gas yeah, loop, trade, so, trademark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah, we, we subsequently trademarked it after the patent was published uh, in May of last year. Um, but basically, it's it's an underground a parallel pipe array to store natural gas or liquids on site. And within our patent language, that would be to a quote unquote industrial facility. Now, what we had in mind with that, you know, of course, you want to be kind of vague where there are a number of applications, but you also want to be specific where it's proprietary and so on. A little bit of the dance you do in working through a patent process. But sure. uh, ultimately, that's what it is. So it's relatively simple conceptually, um, it's the downside of customization, right? It's what is it? Well, it could be a number of things, but the one thing that it is constantly and consistently is an underground. We we could do it above ground. We've not had an active commercial conversation to date where that was requested. We get the question sometimes, could you do it above ground? But nobody actually wants to do it above ground at this point. So but just storing yeah. gas in the subsurface. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep, horizontally. Um, it's a utility patent, so there are not any secret sauce components. This is pipe, it's valving, it's control logic. Uh, in terms of what is the problem we're trying to solve, it does depend on the particular application, whether it's gas, liquid, what are we storing, what is the desired. The one kind of consistent thing is there's either some kind of supply imbalance or there is a peak shaving mechanism in place, some kind of financial goal associated with it, or we're trying to achieve a certain capacity or volume that optimizes that end user's uh, objectives operationally, so to speak. So that that's very vague, but what we basically do is, you know, the original application for us was for power generators, storing natural gas on site, peak shaving, supply and demand buffer. That was the original concept, uh, the original goal, the original purpose. And what's happened since then is it's kind of expanded into uh, some different applications, uh, not just for power generation. You know, we're talking about storing hydrogen now, RNG. We're wildly interested in these uh, in these kind of endeavors. Um, and basically most of our commercial conversations right now are around those two things. So it's a sidestep for RNG, but, you know, hydrogen is not something we were really contemplating at first. Uh, you know, this was three years ago. It's not like it was unheard of, but it wasn't something we were directly focused on. Um, but basically, we would be when we're having a conversation with a customer, it's they're trying to achieve one of two things is where it starts. It's a certain number of days or hours of storage, depending on their objectives or there's yeah. a volume uh, and, and that would translate into a volume, of course, or there's a volume goal that they want to have on site, you know, to optimize their their operation and fill in the blank number of ways or way. But within yeah, that, the, I, I uh, think this is like a thing that people don't realize that you know natural gas power plants mm-hmm. don't essentially have storage. Right? I mean, like coal power plants have big coal pile right next to them. Nuclear power plants yeah. have. Yeah, fuel rods in the system and constantly you know, only need refueling every 18 months. But like natural gas is like just in time demand. And if the gas isn't getting to the plant at the right pace, you know, or the or compressor goes down the pipeline somewhere, then like you can't actually fuel your power plant. So, right. I mean, I, I totally understand the utility of it. But yeah, to just somebody or, or that, someone would say you can't store gas on site. Right. That right. is not an uncommon statement and not necessarily like, like legally or uh, operationally safety. Yeah. And it depends on right. who you ask. You know, I, of course, I don't think anybody's going to put a giant above ground sphere of yeah. natural gas. I mean, it's, right, it's like right a next big to bullet yeah. tank, right? Like, yeah. The problem is, right. yeah, I mean, you think about the propane tanks. So that's probably the easiest visual for most people mm-hmm. um, that that might store large volumes of gas. gas um and I mean, the problem is like you can compress it a lot, but yeah. the gas that we line on fire for electricity is uh, difficult to liquefy, right? It has to, you have to cool it down a lot. So, right. Yeah. So, right. I mean, you said order of hours or days for storage, but for the power plant application, right? So, I mean, is there a volume estimate that is typical or standard for you guys' system? Um, I would, it's completely scalable. So we, yeah. we have some RNG conversations going right now um, that are not necessarily power generation. Um, that would be, by our measure, small. And we're talking 2 million cubic feet a day capacity, which in comparison with other storage options that are not giant above ground tanks, that would be considered large. You know, especially in the hydrogen space. I don't want to drift away from what you were saying, but we, we're learning that depending on what you're talking about, storing small and large mean very different things to different people. Absolutely. Uh, for, for us, small is still relatively large. Um, right. So two million, that's, that's the actual commercial discussions that are underway with a customer. That's on the low end. It doesn't mean we couldn't go smaller, but I kind of want to keep it in the realm of, of what's actually going on right now. And sure. then how big do you want it kind of a thing? I would say the the sweet spot on a larger system would be, you know, the, the 50 million cubic feet and up, you know, cost associated with the system. One three times larger is not going to cost three times as much as one 
that's three times smaller. Sure. You know, that's, that's not a linear kind of equation there. Um, so you kind of get some economies of scale and that kind of thing. And when we when we talk scalability too, and this is very common in our commercial discussions, when we say scalable, it's not just that initial uh, construction and deployment of it. it. It can be installed, especially in the case of hydrogen. That's an emerging market. A lot of growth is going to happen in that space. You can install it at one size, say two million a day, five million a day. And then as that operation expands, grows, like in the case of a hydrogen producer, if they're ramping up production at that particular site, want to increase storage as a result, if that's desired, then we can expand the system as long as the the footprint uh, allows for it. So underground pipe array. I mean, is this mm-hmm. help help me visualize it? Is it just a mm-hmm. um, zigzagging of pipes back and forth that you're kind of just using the pipes as a storage volume rather than a tank? Yeah, basically. Um, it's and you want to reduce the footprint as much as possible, just as a logical approach. You don't want to make right. it bigger than it has to be. You don't want to use more land. You don't want to use more material uh, than you have to. So parallel with, and you want to try to minimize the space between each run as much as possible. And depending on what you're storing as well, that can be, if it needs to be pigged, there's a function of right. velocity there. So you can't make that turn too tight. You know, you don't want to go around and have it getting smaller to the center. So the the parallel back and forth with 180 degree radials is kind of the best approach in terms of reducing footprint, maximizing capacity at the same time. So we're we start with that available land footprint and then we're talking pipe diameter, compression and how do we optimize that within the footprint? It doesn't have to be our schematic is is this nice, pretty rectangle uh, of pipe. Right, with all the control logic associated. But if you're putting pipe together, then you, yeah, you can change, yeah. modify the yeah, size. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. could do kind of a trapezoid shape, but the the, the pipe sections would be parallel. Um, right. So we we can and for those that not the midstream land. space or yeah. similar with pipelines, yeah. you said you said pig just to clarify for folks. That's mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that means cleaning out a pipeline with a plug, essentially, right? Essentially, uh, yeah, 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 rubber plug or ball that you would pump through the pipe to actually clean and get any solids out so yep awesome have you guys installed any of these or is it you said in the commercialization phase working on deals to right build some right and yeah we uh we our patent was issued in may of last year we were relatively quiet about this prior to that just because it is pretty simple conceptually so we spent the second half of 21 kind of evaluating where we were at. You know, you think about what was going on a year ago. We're in the first year of a new administration. There's interesting policy coming down the pike, uh, a little uncertainty around that, I think, for everyone, and, right, and rightfully so. So we're, we're evaluating our position within all of that as well. And so beginning of this year, call it Q1, is when we – actively started commercializing, having real conversations with customers, getting into some early stage agreements, LOI, you know, scenarios, and kind of getting into some evaluations with customers. And there's some lead time on this. You know, it's it's a pipeline construction project, essentially. So that's not cheap right now. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, and one of the things we're excited about, and I don't want to drift away again, but um, some of the alternative material pipe that's emerging, especially that that hydrogen has brought into the space, pretty interesting stuff happening, and not a lot of folks are doing that. Like uh, flex steel or other flexible pipe? Yeah, and that's a secret sauce thing. Like the, the folks we're talking with, we're under NDA with them. And, yeah. and we don't know, you know, what, what this stuff's made of. Something that can store purity hydrogen, that's, that's a pretty valuable thing in the world Absolutely. right now. People talk about converting natural gas pipelines to hydrogen pipelines all the time. And I'm like, mm-hmm. guys, there's steel embrittlement problems with putting hydrogen yep. just in standard stainless steel or standard yeah. carbon steel pipe um, yeah. that like, yeah. people don't realize. So I'm not surprised to hear, hear that. But also very exciting that you're working with right. somebody that has yeah, special material. 
So yeah, well, and that and that's actually not us. That's that would be a supplier for us. Right. Of right. yeah, we, we would be sourcing material, procuring from the supplier of the secret sauce pipe. Let's call it. But right. we, sure. we call it alternative pipe material, just alternative to steel or 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 uh, carbon composite. You know, things reinforced composites that already exist. Because um, you're right. Um, I, I'm hearing up to maybe 20, 25% blend uh, with natural gas for hydrogen, 25% hydrogen blended in a natural gas pipeline um, and doing that in steel. I'm curious, but I don't hear much buzz around how long. And and that's a question, right? Yeah. How long can you have the pipe or the gas in the pipe before you start to see corrosion or embrittlement? Yeah. Does it does it just delay it, right? And and I leave it to the technical folks. And I think I think we've got a lot of brain power in the in the space that that if if 20 to 25 is what's happening, there's a reason for it. Gotcha. And, uh, and, and we'll go with that. But but the goal, of course, over time, it, 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 within an actual transition, is to get to purity, hydrogen, uh, storage capacity, transport capacity. And you mentioned, you know, some of the repurposing, right? Yeah. Um, so an interesting thing that we learned is some of these alternative pipe materials, let's call it, started out as something different. It was, as you were saying, like to to repurpose or as a liner. Uh, right. not necessarily to repurpose, but, but maybe as a liner. And then it's, well, we can make the pipe out of, we can make a pipe out of the liner material. And so that's something that's, I think there's, I think there's been field testing uh, for, for uh, components like that, but it's, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. But uh, yeah. uh, uh, Bechtel Corporation was one of our early uh, kind of, I wouldn't definitely not say partner, but they were, they were interested in what we were doing um we kind of got some traction with them and they took an early interest in what we were doing and got involved with it did some early stage engineering work for us and uh developed our schematic for us and so they were evaluating this material too so they were we were getting some recommendations from them vice versa and and, and working through that and i think there's only around a dozen worldwide that that are developing this type of material for pipe Pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. When you guys bury these arrays, how how deep do you typically bury them? And is it like you just throw some dirt over top or will you (laughs) have 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 cement pads on top? Is there kind of I mean it's probably site site specific, right? But is there kind of a general approach that Yeah, definitely so. It it would be roughly nine feet, call it plus or minus um what would be associated with a standard pipeline project if it were being buried. You know, you picture one in a trench, but it would be more of an excavation type approach. Put in the array, how we backfill the dirt. I think there's some technical components to that. I wouldn't be at liberty to say, well, you you do it exactly like this as far as how that works. That but sounds simple, right? Yeah, you know, sometimes right. it's uh, not not that simple. Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> and then as far as the top, um, we 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 envision and and definitely have intent. I mean, it would be a customer driven thing. Uh, what, what do they want to do with the surface? But there's definitely some light duty surface use to it. Uh, an access road could go over the top of this, depending on what it is. You know, maybe, you know, a field type parking lot. I mean, we're not going to put a Walmart on top of this or anything like that. But um, we, we've envisioned um, having a, a solar array over the top, depending on the size, of course. Um, you know, but especially if we're getting into a larger system of 50 million cubic feet where we're talking 40, 60 acres, you know, somewhere in that range. You know, a solar array that at a minimum, you know, might power the system itself where where its consumption is is sort of a net zero. Right. Um, but that I, I envision that to be a customer driven thing. I don't think we're not going to impart that on them or, or demand that uh, or, or have it as a as a standard feature. Um, but but the surface use is something we definitely anywhere you can double up on use of land i think is a win in anybody's mind so yeah have you guys looked into the doe's new office of clean energy demonstration uh they've got eight billion dollars out for for hydrogen hubs that they're gonna award as grant money because yeah dug into that at all or are you pursuing that yeah um 
Well, to what degree is really the question. Um, we've we've developed a relationship over the last few months uh, with the Oklahoma Center for the Advancement of Science and Technology, OCAST. Um, and that relationship, um, that would be more of a state level grant opportunity. But in addition to that, there's a, a highly collaborative kind of business development function function happening within that. And, and through those relationships, uh, like either directly or indirectly, it's kind of one degree of separation into folks who, who work directly for our energy secretary, uh, who have put us in some introductory conversations around uh, the HALO project, it's called. It's Hydrogen, Arkansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, if you've, if you've heard of that one. I haven't. Earlier stage stuff, but we're we're part of the conversation, let's call it. Um, I would not call it active involvement at this point in time. I don't think I think it's a little soon for that. But kind of the, the groundwork is laid in terms of uh, what our involvement and participation could look like for that. Something it's very exciting for us, of course. Um, I know there are big plans at the state level that we're very interested in. Uh, and regional, I, I should say, M regional more so than state level. Um, uh, a lot of collaborative work between uh, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Oklahoma, and some other areas as well. Uh, aviation, and there and there's some things going on that's kind of outside of our bubble. Uh, but we we see kind of what's going on, and and this in the hydrogen approach is no different than that with with the hub that they envision for that. So, gotcha. but yeah, yeah, but we would be considered. It sounds uh, for the the storage component of that. I guess I'm not familiar with Halo, uh, other than the video game, of course, right? Mm -hmm. I grew up, grew up <laughs> playing Halo, love Halo, but right. uh, do, you, do you give the audience kind of an over overview of what they're trying to accomplish? Well, the extent of my knowledge on it is 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 fairly limited at this point until it gets more traction, but it's it's a collaborative approach to a hydrogen hub for our region. Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana are all neighboring states. Um Lack of better words, I, I would say that these are three states that are probably better uh, approaching something like this together versus a Texas or a California where uh, large geography, large number of people, large number of resources might look a little different. Um, but beyond that, as far as the details and the scope of it, uh, there, there's so much happening here that where, where that could go, it, it's really kind of a sky's the limit kind of a thing. Um, our, our approach would be, of course, to kind of stay in our lane and, and, to, and to check the storage box as it applies. And yeah. uh, but I, it's, it's kind of a more to come to. Uh, I, I would say it's not something that's, that's in the forefront right now, but, it, but it's getting there. It, it's gaining a lot of traction. And there are folks that would hear this that that would disagree with what I'm saying, and it's probably much further along than even I'm aware. So, right. uh, yeah. So it's it's that that's kind of the extent of, of my knowledge on it. But we we that's, were put into the we were kind of brought into those conversations specifically for the storage component. So we're we're excited to see where that goes. Gotcha. Now that's I mean I, I like the idea of smaller states collaborating for large infrastructure yeah. projects. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some examples of Utah and Idaho doing that right now with. And Wyoming uh, doing mm -hmm. that right now with like the UAMPS New Scale project, which I think is really, yeah. really cool. So yeah, yeah, it is awesome. And anything else you want to mention about Firefly or kind of what else you guys are working on? You know, the the natural gas storage approach is where it started. It's expanded into like on the liquid side. Uh, we, we'd like we don't have any active conversations, but we envision uh, we're kind of navigating how we would approach it, but storage of ammonia, like for large fertilizer right. manufacturers, I think there's an application there. Um, we, we've, we've drifted a little bit into, um, kind of a specialized application, uh, around military locations. Um, we might edit that out. I'm not sure, <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's some obvious, uh, safety and operational functions uh, at play there. Um, you know, the, uh, like a military base is a customer to a power generator. And it's right. the one that can never shut down for obvious reasons. I mean, it's a defense location right. and there's national security implications. Not that we're directly involved with that, um, but providing on site 
storage and reliability for that type of an end user and it being underground, like the last place on earth, uh, besides a power generation or industrial facility <laughs> would be a military location, right? Like, yeah, that, I mean, I think that it's obvious why you would not want something visible or above ground uh, to perform that function. So the, those conversations have kind of kind of early stage contemplation around that. It, it's a logical application. And, and, and that's where some of our conversations have gone to. It's, it's conversations with utilities. Almost always they have a large industrial customer or, or more than one that just can't shut down. Like, like if they have one job that day, it's, it's that the fill in the blank factory or manufacturing site cannot shut down, you know, especially for a smaller region type thing where, where one large business is, is kind of an economic development center for the, the town, the state, whatever it might be. Um, and, and so kind of a, a military operation would be similar to that in a way, but, but with, with an increased level of importance and priority. Um, so, but, Going back to your previous question a little bit, because that kind of hits directly on it, but like a Department of Energy or Department of Defense uh, program, um, we, we haven't pursued that just yet. It, it would be early stage for us. We're definitely having conversations around it. And OK, where do we fit into this? Um, and definitely something we intend to pursue. But um, just to kind of answer that a little more specifically, but. Yeah, that is that's our primary focus. It, it's on the storage component for gases, liquids, multiple applications. But that, but that wide net is starting to kind of narrow a bit. I would say the the military applications are going to be become forefront in in the coming months, year. Let's call it. I think that'll emerge. Renewable natural gas is hot for us, and hydrogen. Th- those are the kind of the primary commercialization approaches for us right now, and active conversations that we're having. Gotcha. Cool. Well, chief chief communications officer, but I mean, small team, group of three people, very entrepreneurial. You wear a lot of hats, but I did want to chat a little bit more about communication. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Since you've opted for that as a title, like, let's uh, absolutely let's, let's touch on it a little bit. I mean, we we communicated over uh, or we connected over LinkedIn um, through just comments in the post, right? Uh, mm-hmm. do, do you see yeah. that as a valuable mode of networking? I I do. Um, there, I've definitely seen, well, connecting with you obviously was a positive. Um, I've, I've made some really good connections through LinkedIn. Um, I think the energy space in particular is gaining so much, not that it wasn't before, but, but there's, it's a more prevalent collaborative mindset. I think people are more engaging now. There's a lot of things happening within the space that I think require collaboration. I think people have warmed to it. Um, it just seems that way. Um, I agree. Yeah. Or maybe it's just more noticeable, but um, very like the few tech times. environment yeah. or like culture yeah. has had some spillover, right? From the yeah. open, open source code and realizing, wow, we can accomplish a lot more if we work together rather than kind of competing, which is interesting yeah. in the capitalist market with ip private property rights but yeah <laughs> yeah and and it's and it's a relatively easy way to connect you know my connections are are going to maybe cross circles with yours and and so you kind of find it's easy to find a little groove where people just kind of emerge and and you, you don't have to spend a great deal of time looking for folks so it, it makes that so much easier. It, it's it's easy for people to be responsive. And so I, I think and plus plus the collaborative mindset, you know, just all the things that are happening in the space, as you mentioned, emerging technologies, there's a lot of innovation, there's a lot of change. Uh, and it just kind of sparks that. And and it, it really there's there's an evolution of of what's happening. Um right. And, and you kind of have to engage. You just, I, I think so anyway. Um, maybe that's just more of a personal thought, <laughs> but, it, but it's, yeah, it provides that platform to do that. And, and well, and it's, and it's what, what are you using it for? Right. right. Um, right. For me, you mentioned, yeah, we, 
we uh, we crossed in in some comments, and I, I forget exactly what that was. It was something along the lines of, uh, and and not a contentious comment, of course, but it was it was something that resembled you can't store natural gas on site. Mm, and yeah. and and I, I it's not my style uh, to engage in a contentious way or a oh not so fast uh, and and come at somebody that way. But I'll kind of drop a quick one. You latched on to it, I think. And there are those opportunities, but there is a lot of that, right? It's 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 the counter to everything positive that we were just saying. You know, collaborative approaches and and the intersection and uh, of, of a lot of different things that come together um, and push for collaboration, but it's it's still it's still social media in, in right. a sense, and and that for me at least kind of carries a negative connotation. You know, I'd I'd like to not see a, a LinkedIn type you know turn into like a Facebook, but it's right. you know pe- people are people, and uh, some people like to engage in a, in a spirited fashion, let's call it. But um, I pick my moments and, and I'm a little selective about who and what and, and what, what you're going to say. And, and maybe that's, you know, the actual communications end of my job title. Uh, you know, right. communication puts you into everything. Traditionally, a communications officer within a, like a large corporation is managing all types of materials, what's being what's being uh, sent out, what's on the website, what's on the LinkedIn page, is there consistency in our messaging, so on and so forth. Um, I do that for us, uh, you know, just being a company of three, that's still required when you're trying to deploy a new technology what is our messaging? What are we saying about it? What should we say? What shouldn't we say? What can't we say? You know, you don't want to be on your website saying you can do something or something does this that it cannot do. And it requires some level of thought. It sounds like common sense, but but in practicality, when you're when you're building a website, you know, in our case, for example, you 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 have to walk a certain path. You should anyway, and and so it's the the art and science of opinion and fact, and and how do you how do you promote something but stay within those accurate boundaries? Ethical boundaries are a component of that. Um, but that's that's more the thing for us. It's we have to develop our message around what we're doing because we're essentially the only ones doing it not not the only ones doing storage but doing it at utility scale let's call it and at the capacities that we're able to do and to do it on site that's a key component it's 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 intended to be on site not just plopped down anywhere there's a strategic and operational component but it's it's what language do we speak what what are we about and then on a personal level, like on a LinkedIn, that's a little different. You 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 have more liberties to step outside of that. And okay, well, I, I'm not. This is not a company page post. This is me now. <laughs> so yeah. I can I can wander into a, a little bit into opinion, but or or my own judgment. Let's say that's probably a better uh, passing off opinion as fact is is just a faux pas. Um, happens very commonly. And in, yeah. in, in any topic, it depends on who you ask and, you know, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, you, you see a lot of healthy engagement on LinkedIn. It's. But it's there are times, of course, we, we, we've all seen that it's, you know, productive discourse is one thing, but uh, it, it at times resembles, you know, um, something carrying out in a public forum of, of a Republican trying to convert someone to Democrat or vice versa. Yeah. It's, 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 it's never going and to it's, happen. And right. It's not the right yeah, spot for that. You know, you want to be present, seen, vocal and kind of the community and the business community um, to be like a re- respected member of the energy community. And there's, there's self-promotion, there's corporate promotion, but the flip side of that is you don't want to be so provocative that, um, you get harpooned, right? There's a, yeah. a, a phrase that the surfacing whale gets harpooned, right? And there's probably right. some um, skepticism or um, curiosity by a lot of folks why some more successful or popular people don't 
or aren't more public or comment more. And yeah. that's like likely the reason, right? So yeah, the first person through the wall gets the bloodiest, right? It's yeah. and it's a balance, right? I mean, then so how do you yeah. how do you maintain that effectively and uh, really foster kind of a high quality network and establish and build a worthwhile reputation in those right. forums? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's challenging. Um, not really a question, but do you think that'll change over time in the energy industry specifically? I mean, we've, I've seen it evolve over the past decade, but we'll mm-hmm. look forward a little bit. What do you think that'll evolve into? Just to say that it's difficult to say is a little bit of a punt. I'll own that. But, you know, my, my personal thoughts on, on the energy transition are my, my concern with it is, is that it's clearly happening too fast. Mm-hmm. And not just that it's happening too fast. Why? What? Why? what is the hurry and one person yeah. i can hear it already right why would kind of change to it's fire energy? yeah why wouldn't we want to get to cleaner energy and that and that's a question i can't be like well we well we shouldn't you know i can't say no we don't want clean energy you know and so and and this is just where the polarization of these views starts right um but it's it's transition you know, and, and I can't claim this as my own. I wish I could remember where I read it, but an energy transition has been taking place since the beginning of energy. Um, you know, we're talking firewood and, you know, and then, Oh, coal, you know, there was a time that coal was innovative and, and very sexy, you know, and it's not now and that's okay. You know, and then natural gas comes on the scene, oil, and, and now all the things that that does for us and, and where we're Vaclav Smith, I think, actually uh, highlights that well in a lot yeah. of his work. Yeah, um, and that and that's perhaps where I saw it. But it's it's a transition, and I don't think anywhere along the way any of those prior methods that were accepted were demonized to the level. And and why does it have to happen now? It, it has an eerie and kind of ominous look and feel to it that. Right. You know, is this really the best we can do to have available to us all the smart people and scientists that actually could publicly even come together and collaboratively come up with the best way to move forward? Right. Right. Why isn't that the approach and to even contemplate? the pace at which it should happen, right? This is the concern that I have. I'm, I'm not pro or anti anything. Um, the statement I typically make on this topic is where you stand has a lot to do with where you sit, right? If, if you work for ABC Solar, yeah. your, your, your mind is made up by the person who signs your paycheck. And I'm fortunate to to be agnostic to a lot of this, we, we support renewables, renewable natural gas, hydrogen. We're, we're in the forefront of a transitional direction. Being from Oklahoma, it doesn't automatically make me pro oil and gas or anti anything, but you have to have some balance and some realistic views around what is, what isn't, what can and can't be done. And the, the yeah, I am curious on yeah. your perspective from Oklahoma, yeah. if you've seen it evolve over time, because, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it is such a uh, oil and gas heavy state, yeah, one of the, yeah. the largest in the country that perhaps a lot of people may not realize how much is actually there. Um, yeah. Have you seen it evolve over kind of the past decade? Yeah, de- definitely. And, and for me, um, you know, to contrast a little bit from from my partners, Jeff and Rick, Rick's our engineer. He has 40 plus years of experience, would be a great person to kind of kind of have an exchange with on on that. But Jeff having 20 plus years, um, you know, so I I wasn't as in tune with it or, or paying as close of attention. So so my frame of reference is different. And, right. and I didn't value that or really even notice that in the same way that Jeff did. And I'm like, well, man, I don't I don't have the, the background that you guys have. And he's like, that's why I, I need your perspective in the following ways. And so and he kind of 
talked me into and then I'm like, okay, you know, and it took a minute for that to register with me in the same way that that it did with him at the time. But I, I don't have any baked in values, thoughts, feelings, family history, emotions, generational, what have you. Um, yeah. associated with the industry. I've always valued it. I've always, I, it was always very interesting to me and I've always been very intrigued by it. I'm not completely out of touch with what it's done for the economy in our state. Right. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm in tune with today as well. You know? I, yeah. I love your saying where you stand is where you sit or where you sit is where you stand often um, makes total sense. But yeah, I, I can't imagine that you'd be as in tune if you are working directly in the industry. It's like, oh, one day the Oklahoma Thunder showed up, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> we got like this awesome <laughs> new like business park, and like, yeah, there's that yeah. gas company that's just kind of doing stuff, right? Like, right, yeah, right, cool. Well, Brent, let's um, we've got just a couple more questions, but uh, sure. What what advice do you have for young professionals in energy? Oh man, Whew. Well, generally speaking, with everything that's happening and so many changes, there's a lot to align with and a lot of places maybe more so than ever before that you can find yourself and so the opportunity that's out there i would recommend as someone who's already working in energy i would recommend trying to do as many different things um, and not as many jobs or different departments within the same company i'm not necessarily saying that but develop a balanced view and an educated view on everything that's happening with renewables, with fossil fuels, you know, that I believe is going to be the thing that emerges from all of this right now. It's which way is up and we're all going to fight and we're all going to argue. And, and why, why can't we get there fast enough? Well, because it doesn't make sense to get there fast enough. This is all going to land somewhere. And the more balanced view a person has on it, the better position that person is to function within whatever that environment looks like along the way as well. So that, that would be my advice. Uh, don't slip into a tunnel vision view of what your job expectations are now and develop a holistic view, develop a holistic approach to solving real world, world problems. And, and how do you, over the course of your career, position yourself to, to make an impact within that, assuming that you want to, right? Yeah, that's fantastic advice. Brent Smith, I, I really appreciate that. I think that's a, for this, I think that's a great spot to leave it. So thanks so much. Great. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's great.